Having wrapped up our discussion on each of the episodes in season one of Moon Knight on Disney+, Plus, today on the show, we're talking about the overall season, the characters, and the main themes that stood out to us, ultimately saying later's gators to this season of Moon Knight. Welcome to Night Night Spectre, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and splintered mind of Moon Knight. I'm your host, Elizabeth. And I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the show. We couldn't let go of the MCU's Moon Knight without talking about the season overall. So today's episode will only be slightly different from our normal show episodes. We'll give a high-level summary of the season, then talk about our overall thoughts, the characters, a major theme, and questions we have remaining, and then wrap up with our final thoughts. But first, let's do a little housekeeping. We would love to hear from our listeners. So email us at nks at loreparty.com with your thoughts and questions, and you might just see them appear on a future episode. You can find Lawrence at produced by underscore LK on Twitter and Twitch. And you can find Elizabeth at it's Rizbif, I-T-S-R-I-Z-B-I-F on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, you can connect with the rest of the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Lore underscore party. Now that the housekeeping's out of the way, we're going to take a quick break before starting the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now that we're back, before we dive in, if you haven't watched the entire first season of Moon Knight on Disney Plus yet, now's your time to pause and go watch it if you don't want to hear any spoilers. Also, weird flex to listen to a season recap for something you haven't watched. Hey, maybe they just want to know what's good before they deep dive. I don't know. To each their own. But we've officially warned you. So now that you've been warned, let's start out with our high-level summary of the season. All right. So... This will not be as uh, intricate as our normal uh, episode summaries, but the season, the synopsis of the season is basically we start out in London meeting Stephen Grant, a mild-mannered museum gift shop employee who blames a sleeping disorder for why he tends to wake up in different places and has missing gaps of time in his life. However, soon after waking up in the Alps and a run-in with Arthur Harrow that follows him to work the next day, Stephen discovers it's not a sleeping disorder. He has disassociative identity disorder and shares a body with Mark Spector, an ex-military mercenary for hire. But that's not all Mark is. He's also Moon Knight, the fist of Khonshu, the Egyptian god of the moon. Mark is tasked with inflicting vengeance on those who do evil in the world. And while having faced the complexities of DID and the events of the past, Stephen and Mark travel to Cairo, where they have to team up with Layla Alfuli and Kanchu to fight against Harrow as he tries to free Amit from her Ushapti and pass judgment upon the world. 
And with that, that is pretty much the craziness that we got in six episodes of Moon Knight. So just like with our typical episode recaps, we're going to give our thoughts and feelings, uh, but these thoughts and feelings will be uh, encompass the entire season overall. That's right. So there's a lot to be tackled when bringing the story of Moon Knight to the screen, both on and off the camera. I think the the director was fantastic and all the actors deserve awards for their performances and bringing these characters to life. I know in previous episodes, we've gone on and on about how Oscar Isaac's performance and these some of these specific scenes has been super powerful and that Ethan Hawke is a really convincing cult leader. Prior to the show coming out, we had a lot of conversations, including in our speculation show, on how this would hold up to the comics and how it would handle disassociative identity disorder and mental health overall. And I think for me personally, it did hold up to the comics. Like I've said a bunch of times previously, I never wanted this to be an exact one-to-one, and I didn't get that, and I wasn't disappointed. I don't think I could have asked for a better portrayal of these characters, and I'm honestly the most happy that we have this new character of Layla. She's definitely an upgrade from Marlene as a character, and I love the representation that she brings to the MCU. I would absolutely not be upset if they eventually fold her into the comics as well someday. And then when it comes to the mental health aspect of it, I think they handled it really well. I wasn't expecting them to dive as deeply as they do into Mark's traumas, but they did it really well. And Oscar Isaac really captures the pain and the emotions of dealing with trauma and hard truths, both as Mark and Steven. You know, I agree. And uh, just like overall, I really just appreciate every aspect of how the series was handled. Um, I've said it on a previous episode that like the best thing that they did was dropping fans into the middle of what was going on and then just kind of uh, sprinkling Easter eggs and different hints so that, um, you know, you could kind of figure out as you go along, like what is actually happening to think for people that are new to Moon Knight, it gives them, you know, it it was comes off as confusing, but it also gives them a puzzle to solve each episode and for seasoned people that have read the comics and are fans of Moon Knight, um, you know, it, it gives them this like really cool, like outlet to, to theorize and speculate based off of like their favorite runs and favorite issues and what's most iconic about Moon Knight. So it was a really, it was a show for everybody, no matter where they are as a Moon Knight fan, uh, which was something I appreciated. And I'm surprised and delighted by um, just like how they handled setting up supporting characters like Layla and Harrow um, and even how they set up Mark. I do like how Disney decided Disney and Marvel decided to really destroy the stereotype that Moon Knight is Marvel's Batman instead of making Steven this rich billionaire like he was in the comics. Uh, he's just an everyday average person. And I think it gives a lot more to his character than um, if he just had all this disposable income and resources. It would be hard to relate to somebody like that, you know, as the average person watching this show. Here's looking at you, Elon Musk. <laughs> Don't ban me from Twitter, bro. But the, you know, also I really appreciated the like exploration of justice and the duality presented by both of the opposing forces in the show, Kanchu, Ahmed, uh, well, yeah, Kanchu, and then Ahmed and Harrow together, because um, they had similar they had similar ideology, but a completely different worldview based off of very small facts, which is really captivating. It made it, you know, it was it was made very 
present or you were made very aware in the beginning that neither Mark or Harrow were perfect people. And the conflict ultimately came down to who was able to learn from their past and grow and heal. Another thing that I really appreciated about the episode is how they really tied Mark being Moon Knight to his origin story and his past traumas all at once. It really was a good linchpin for like the first the first half of the episode. Everything felt like it really built up to that point. And I think that they didn't let the, the fans down at all. And it was really like organic and and true to not only his his backstory in the comic books, but um, I think they improved upon some of Mark's earlier childhood traumas that were probably more unbelievable that were related to the comics. And, you know, lastly, the, as, as we both mentioned, just mental health and DID were handled really well, despite complaints from people on the internet early on, like Oscar Isaac promised that it was something that they would take seriously. And I think that they overall, they delivered on that promise very well. And so now that you know what we think about this, I feel like I should do like the reading rainbow thing. Like don't, but don't take my word for it. Watch the six episodes. <laughs> but now that we've, we've talked about our overall thoughts, what we want to do is put a spotlight on some of the characters. Similarly to how we divided characters up in our speculations episode, we'll first go over characters we're very familiar with from the comics, and then we'll move into those new to having a big role in Moon Knight. Sweet. So the first character, first old character with the new twist that we're going to talk about um, is Stephen Grant as Mr. Knight. You know, as we've noted in previous episodes, comic book Stephen Grant is a suave American millionaire and Honestly, uh, we both think that we we both agree that this is that this shift to a soft spoken British vegan nerd has been well received. Uh, these these like six episodes were a wild ride for Stephen. Like you know, he goes from working at a museum gift shop and thinking he's got a sleeping disorder to finding out and coming to terms with the fact that he's an actual alter of Mark Spector. And it was the result of his childhood trauma that specifically came from his mom that, you know, Stephen was believed he was very close to. And then we see him like, you know, wrap up his time in this season fighting Egyptian gods along alongside Mark, who, you know, he's he's reconciled with and Layla, who he is still very much interested in as Smitten. his. As Mr. Knight and someone who's like now more confident and believes in himself. And because of it, he's got access to all of these new skills and abilities. Yeah, there is really um, a whole range that Steven goes through as a character and a lot of development that they put into this. And I think it's really cool to watch this character go from being like this this timid kind of socially awkward person to being super confident, making deals with Khonshu and kicking ass. Yeah, and his biggest, you know, honestly, we may get into this later in the episode, but his biggest growth was, uh, you know, like I think a lot of Mark's character development in this, or a lot of Mark's character initially is shown through the lens of Steven, and it's like, oh, Mark is bad, Mark kills, Mark does all this stuff. But we see a lot of growth in Steven when he understands, like, why Mark does the things he does and why Mark has, had, like, you know, acts the way he does and feels the way he does. And like the best part of Stephen Grant was being able to see all of these things, be able to realize that 
he's a construct that was created by someone else, but also being able to forgive someone who has like never been able to forgive themselves for anything that they've gone through in life. So like Steven went from being like, you know, a nerd that you could sympathize with to kind of an asshole to like very, very understanding. Cool. Like very much the, uh, very, I don't know, very much the moral compass person. And so our next character on, you know, our old characters with a new twist list is obviously Mark Spector as Moon Knight. We both agree that Mark definitely lives up to his comic book counterpart. You know, being a mercenary and then a superhero due to circumstance, but but still maintaining his own moral code. You know, this this show does a good job of reinventing Mark's origin as Moon Knight and as having dissociative identity disorder with enough callback to the comic books that it's not like a complete new story, uh, but it's an, it's updated enough to feel more modern and true to to his character. And you know, just like just like Stephen, Mark goes through a lot of growth over the course of the season. You know, just like we mentioned, he starts off pretty much closed off. Um, he's has that lone wolf mentality. He would even go as far as attempting to divorce his own wife out of fear that he just didn't want anything bad happen to her and doing what he can to keep Steven out of the way to becoming, you know, to becoming this person that accepts everybody and is able to help and work together with both, with both Steven and Layla, the people that he was originally pushing away. Mark finally comes to a point where he understands that he doesn't have to do everything alone and that he is, has a very capable support system around him minus the next person on the list, but (laughs) we'll get to that in a sec. But yeah, I think like we said, just like with Steven, Mark is going through a lot this episode. I, I, I like that we, we shift from first seeing him through that lens of Steven, as you said, to getting kind of like this, this more first, um, first person interaction with him so that we can feel like where he's coming from and kind of go through this whole discovery of Mark as a viewer with Steven. Yeah, definitely. That was a really good, good call on, you know, everyone's part in the show to show us Mark from someone else's perspective. It felt it, it did make them both feel like a little bit more natural characters than just like, oh, Mark has this understood, uh, uh, yeah, misunderstood, like brooding, yada yada person. It actually was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Like, if these types of things happened, it would be very easy for someone to to slip down the path that Mark does. And it's also pretty easy to judge somebody just based off of, you know, the little bit of information we get. Yeah, and especially for Steven, some of the information that he's getting is coming from not Mark. Like, right. the, the Billy and Bobby, the, the police officers in the car telling him that, oh, this is what, like, you did. Um, and Mark being like, you really believe that? Like, you can tell that he's kind of, like, offended that Steven would assume that he's he did actually do those things that were being said about him. Right. But our, our next character... Our next character on the, you know, the old character's new twist um, is everybody's favorite chicken <laughs> with a, uh, with that sometimes doesn't have a neck. It's Conchu. <laughs> Conchu was like, Conchu was, was, was good. I, I really liked Conchu in the show. Like this is, 
you know, you obviously just because of the nature of media, a lot of times what you see is everybody's like anyone who is like ambiguous morally is like, are they evil? Just secretly evil. Mm-hmm. When it turns out like Kanchu isn't necessarily evil, but like Kanchu has always been like morally gray, as gray as his character looks on screen. You know, he never really attaches himself to one side or the other, which is something that we covered in previous episodes and in our what is or who is Kanchu episode. You know, he's he's uh, very much buying into his his whole shtick of I'm I'm only fighting people or I'm only delivering justice to those who deserve it and those who are, um, you know, quote unquote evil. But he's still out here manipulating people for his own cause. He'll manipulate, he manipulates Mark and even cheats him in a deal. We see Kachu, you know, going from being a complete asshole to Steven to attempting to use Layla against Mark and even trying to pursue or persuade Layla to be his avatar instead of helping Mark and Steven. But then we later find out that he was only that he's been we later find out that he's been manipulating Mark from the very beginning and that he finds this loophole in the deal that he makes with Stephen and Mark while still very much being attached to Mark through Jake Lockley. So I don't know. Kanchu is just morally ambiguous. He's manipulative. He does actually accomplish his goals of punishing evil, but he does it in a very like evil light way in a, in a way i guess i get evil evil light is like, like a good <laughs> a good description because like like he does all of that stuff that that you mentioned like manipulating mark and you know using layla as you know this like thing he holds above him so that he doesn't you know try to break the deal but we also see him yell at the gods that they've like turned their backs to humanity they've abandoned humanity while he hasn't and he also sacrifices himself to turn back the sky so that so that Layla and, and Steven could figure out the whole map thing to find Amit's Ushapti so like there's there's these good and bad things that Kanchu does yeah I mean Kanchu's justice is like um the way Kanchu delivers out justice is like a means to an end so it's justified. All those those morally ambiguous pieces of it are justified because in the end, there's like one less evil person in the world. So it's like I can do questionable a questionable deed, but as long as it benefits the greater good, it's not that bad. When in when in fact it it sometimes is is that bad, and nothing says that more than the the next person. Really, which is our <laughs> lovely friend Jake Lockley. Like the the level of screen time that we get with Jake is nowhere near enough. But even based off of that, we can gather that his level of violence matches that of his in the comic books. Um, and it's interesting that unlike the comics, though, Conchu seems to be more friendly with Jake than just like tolerant. Yeah, and it's it really feels like at the end of uh, at the end of the day. You know, we mentioned we see Mark's um, his origin story and Kanchu tells him that he's been looking for a warrior. And it honestly feels like more of he's more interested in Jake Lockley than he is out of the other two, because it feels like Jake also has the same willingness as Kanchu to to, you know, 
pass vengeance or yeah, you know, get vengeance on people to protect others. Um, and they're both like equally as ruthless and callous. So it ends up working out like uh was even referring to Jake Lockley as his friend. And like, I guess the cool thing about Jake and, and the context of this series is the fact that we, Jake is almost in, he's in most episodes. He's just not a major role. He's always just teased, but we get a lot of, uh, we get a lot of clues to his character and then, you know, we get the big re- reveal at the the end. So we can see that like Jake may be more, more cold and calculated than he is in the comic books. Yeah. I'm hoping that we get to see more of what, you know, how he is as whatever form of Moon Knight <laughs> um, and how he works together with Kanchu in the future. Yep. Besides just killing people in a hospital and shooting a guy in the back <laughs> of a car. Right. That is completely empty because you can't see Kanchu. So that's also hilarious. But yes. Um, and then we have an honorable mention, which is Crawley, which we have a list of character deep dives that we're planning on doing. And Crawley will definitely be in one of those. But for those of you who don't know, Crawley, when we talk about Crawley, we're talking about the gold statue guy and the person calling out bingo numbers. He has a much bigger role in the comic books than than doing that. But the only words we really get from Crawley during the season were calling said bingo numbers um, in the medical facility. And he's only he's only called by name once by Mark. You know, it's it's still cool that we actually get that familiar character from the comics pulled in like as more of a, a twist than anything in the comics. Crawley was a homeless person that provided Mark in, with intel. And it was mainly Mark as Jake Lockley intel while he was patrolling the streets. We get to see him in this show, though, as a street performer that Steve invents to and persuades other people to give him money. But, uh, you know, we can also assume, we can assume to some degree that he's giving Mark intel, or at least Mark knows him if he is familiar with his name. I like that, like, we got to keep, you know, at least some of those characters that we were anticipating. Like, if we would go into the Lemire run, getting some of those same characters in those, like, in those Easter eggs of that piece. Definitely. So now we're going to move on to new characters with bigger roles. So. First is our man, Arthur Harrow. So while the the character of Harrow might not be completely brand new to Moon Knight, the way that this character is portrayed is completely new, and it didn't disappoint. Rather than being an evil scientist experimenting on innocent people to try to cure a disease that plagues him, he's a cult leader that objectively has his heart in the right place, but his execution is pretty off. Yeah, even after being Kanchu's avatar for so long and realizing that the need to punish those who have committed crimes would never really end. He realigns himself with Amet. Throughout the course of the season, Harrow is able to use the power of Amet to gather a following of people who have proven to be good in their past, present, and future with the goal of releasing Amet from her Ushapti to cleanse the world of evil, only hoping that 
his penance would balance his own scales in the very end. And I guess, like, to his surprise, because I think uh, he was, when Ahmet told him that his scales were not balanced, as sad as he was that his penance did not balance those scales out, I think, like, he was ready to accept death, as we talked about in previous episodes. But, like, his, I guess his his work paid off to the go- ultimate goal that he wasn't shooting for, but... Yeah, and I think, as a character, the best part about Arthur Harrow is the fact that he actually did believe in what he was doing as opposed to um, Amit herself, where, uh, you know, she decided to spare someone like Harrow who actually didn't have balanced skills. Whereas, um, you know, this whole time when Harrow takes a life, he apologizes. Um, and he, like we just mentioned, he's very committed. He would even rather die than die with unbalanced skills and have someone else take his place than to uh, feel like he was owed something because of the work that he's done. Yeah. And so our next character uh, with a, a next, our next new character with a big role was Layla Alfoli as the Scarlet Scarab. So for, for fans of Moon Knight and readers of the comic, you'll know that Layla is the uh, basically what replaces Ma- Marlene in this universe. Marlene was um, a scientist at the dig site in the comic books and uh, Mark's on and off again love interest. You know, Layla Sir, even though Layla serves as MCU's Marlene, it's really only in the fact that she's married to Mark um, and her father was among the archaeologists that were killed by Bushman when um, he and Mark did the dig site job. Honestly, when it comes to when it comes to her character, like when it comes to Layla, there couldn't have been a better replacement for Marlene. She's always she proves in every episode that she's able to handle what's ever thrown at her. She's strong she's independent she's smart um and she's more than capable of doing everything from locating dig sites to fighting undead to working with gods on her her terms and to um and not be manipulated even when the odds are stacked against her like layla is layla is even able to keep everything together when finding out the truth about her dad and watching Mark get killed right in front of her. I think the best thing about the best thing about Layla is that she is able to keep moving forward no matter what is put in front of her. And I think that's what ultimately leads her to, you know, teaming up with Tarwed and uh, helping Steven and Mark save the world. Yeah. I think I was really pleased to see her become Tarwed's avatar and have that be something that she i mean even though this is kind of like a last resort thing like she's choosing to do and she's aligning with a with a god that isn't going to manipulate her in the way that conchu does to mark and steven or to harrow and i think obviously like she just plays a really major role in the in defeating amit in that last episode definitely and so our final new character or yeah, new character with a bigger role is Ahmet herself. And so by the time we get to actually interact with Ahmet, it's the final 
or it's the finale of the season. So really the villain of this season is mostly Hero, but in a way the ultimate goal was always to bring Ahmed into the world and and Hero represented just a small fraction of Ahmed's overall plan for judgment and weeding out evil. In a way, we probably should have seen more of, of Ahmet, but I feel like, you know, Ethan Hawke as Arthur Harrow was a very good, was personally like so devoted that it was like we were really always faced with Ahmet, like they're like Ahmet's judgment. I don't know, really felt like everything that Arthur Harrow talked about. This wasn't one of those like TV shows where, you know, the ultimate goal turns out to be a trick. Everything that Arthur Harrow preached and believed in um, was actually represented by Ahmet, minus the fact that she just didn't wipe out Harrow for having unbalanced scales. So it's a really interesting character. And I think the the most interesting part was just the the more of the similarities that she had with Kanchu and the fact that she recognizes the similarities that she has with Kanchu more than he wants to believe. It wasn't necessarily like every other thing where it's it's like, I am going to kill everybody. It was really like, hey, evil will always continue in the world. So the best way or the best solution that I can think of is just eliminating the choice of evil so that no evil exists. Anyways, I mean, like the quote we get from Arthur in one of the earlier episodes that like you wouldn't wait to weed a weed a rose garden or whatever until the the flowers died. So why would you wait to get rid of something evil after it's already committed that act? Right. So it's definitely. So it was definitely a character that I feel like we could have seen more of, but honestly, um, it was a, it was a fantastic use of Ahmet and the MCU, um, as this, you know, sort of, of, uh, boogeyman that, uh, preys upon the evils of man. Yeah. And I like that her presence in that last episode doesn't overshadow Harrow's role. Like he still is as much of an important character in the end, even when Ahmed is out and, you know, wreaking havoc. Right. So now that we've gone through all the characters of importance, let's take a quick break and then dive into theme. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like I said, now that we're back, let's go into theme. So in Moon Knight... In our Moon Knight Speculations episode, we talked about how Ethan Hawke said every aspect of the show has a duality. And that was one of the most true statements about the show that we heard before it was aired. I think the duality is definitely a major theme of the show. We see duality at a basic level in the good versus evil. That's both a point of judgment and sides to take for or against a cause. 
And we also see duality even in a single body between Mark and Steven with their personalities and skill sets being polar opposites in the beginning of the show. And I think with, with that duality also comes perspective and this kind of spectrum of good versus evil. And I think that one of the, the first times that we see that specifically called out um, and is in episode two when Arthur Harrow says the difference between medicine and poison is sometimes only dosage. Yeah, there was a yeah, there was a healthy amount of duality when it came to uh, good, good and evil and justice in this in this show. Um, I particularly liked that quote and pretty much all of the other Arthur Harrow quotes um, because he never shied away from the fact that uh, what they were doing was questionably moral. But his overall defense was that Ahmet knows best and it's better to just not question the judgment of Ahmet. Um, so the poison versus medicine conversation was strictly about, uh, you know, killing a child that would have like committed a crime in the future as opposed to just letting them live their life in, in the hopes that something might not happen or that, you know, they still get to have whatever choice that they have. So it's a very interesting perspective on uh, on that. Definitely. I think it's also one of my favorite quotes um, of the entire season. I think you also can see kind of, again, this like how perspective is so important in this duality from then Dr. Harrow in episode four talking about that, like the pen versus chew toy thing where he says, Take, for example, this pen, right? To me, this is a writing utensil, right? To my dog, it's a chew toy. Both are accurate, right? It's just a question of context and perspective. Okay, so like even in like, when we, if we want to talk about like whose vengeance is the right vengeance, his conchu is all about like this is his way being correct and Ahmed's way being wrong. But if you look at it from... Harrow's perspective, he's he's here saying that like this isn't wrong because we're getting rid of the evil altogether. Like the these the world is going to be rid of these horrible people doing these horrible things, regardless of like their whether they've been committed or not yet. Yeah, I guess that was my favorite part about the whole show in general is just that um, it was about whose judgment or whose vengeance is right. And not necessarily about is vengeance in and of itself the like more righteous thing to do and the more or the more righteous path to take. Um, but yes, I guess honestly, like a court, agreeing with Dr. Harrow, it is honestly just a question of context and perspective. It's what, what the entire show is about. From Ahmed's perspective, removing evil was the best way to handle evil and Kanchu's perspective was that eliminating someone's choice is evil in and of itself regardless of what they do right we even have that exchange in episode six where Amit says there is so little difference in what we want for this world why do this dance for the rest of time and Kanchu says you know the answer I only punish those who who have chosen evil and Amit says so do I only I don't give them the satisfaction of committing it. Yes. I mean, this, again, this sums up the entire series. This sums up the conflict in the entire series. It, was, it wasn't about whether or not vengeance is good. It was about who, 
whose vengeance was right. And really, it's like we're we're looking at it from the perspective of well, we really get to see it from the outside perspective, and we're looking at two people that are just trying to justify the things that they do, ultimately. And even though they're doing the same thing, they find these subtle differences that they use to kind of take like a moral high ground on on the other person, when in fact, um, you know, uh, Ahmed is using a a guy who's has unbalanced scales and is, you know, pretty pretty uh broken up and Kanchi was manipulating a guy with dissociative identity disorder by dangling his wife in front of him only to really be interested in another one of his alters that he's not even aware of so you know as they they talk about you know who is who is morally better their actions would show that neither of them are but we are always we're always forced to look at this from that context of perspective. So we'll always see it as Ahmed's just vengeance versus Kanchu's vengeance. Right. And we can even look at it as like Ahmed being prevention versus Kanchu being punishment. And like, even if like looking at this before, I was kind of thinking about Ahmed's prevention being radical, but it's only radical because I don't think that you should kill people if they haven't committed a crime. That's like a little morally, you know, vague, but it's, again to go back like it's about all about context and perspective yeah and it's it's yeah and it's yeah it's context and perspective and then the argument that they have is free um is free will um you know free will versus is i guess free will versus no free will is the argument that they try to do it's like free will versus being or i guess no free will versus being able to make a choice is like how they decide to do this dance yeah. The show. When really looking at it, even from that argument, makes it a lot worse. Makes their perspective look a lot worse. But you know, this is honestly, it's a it's a huge theme of the entire series so far, and it's definitely something that we will cover in a future episode. Yeah. So now that we've kind of like covered that, let's move on to our favorite section, everybody's favorite section, questions. So we've obviously had a lot of questions along the way over the course of this show. And now that it's over, we're still left with questions. And the first question we want to tackle is, or when will Mark and Steven find out that Jake exists and that Conchu is still very much a part of their lives? In season two, <laughs> if they ever decide to make one. They better. I would love to know how they how they would how that would be set up too. Yeah, hopefully that would give us more insight into the events that ended up constructing Jake Lockley. Yeah. And our next question is: uh, How will the dynamic between Stephen, Mark, and Layla work now that they're they are so fluidly connected? I'm really interested in how they plan on moving forward with this, especially since you know, obviously, like in the beginning of the show. St- divorce papers were being served and now they clearly like have kind of gotten over like Layla knows why those were served it wasn't because he doesn't love her anymore they're having a bad relationship it's because he's he was afraid of Conchu trying to like take her away from him or manipulate him her in some way and I'm also just wondering if 
there is any dynamic now because we saw a lot in the series that Layla was very much running away from Cairo because of not only the, you know, the people that she's made enemies with, but it was just something that was really connected to her father. Uh, and it was a place that she didn't want to go back to, but now that she has closure and she's got, uh, you know, these abilities as Tarwet's uh, avatar, I'm wondering if there is any sort of, or I mean, I wonder, there's obviously there's a connection, but I'm wondering what type of connection it is now. Are they long distance? Are they taking some time apart? Um, is Layla figuring things out because a lot of a lot of heavy things have been presented to her that she hasn't necessarily had time to go through and process. Yeah, I kind of hope for everybody a little bit of therapy is involved in this afterwards. It seems like Layla got closure, but I mean, also at the same time, there's still still more to it than I think what was presented in the show. Yeah, I think she she does have that like knowledge of what exactly happened to her father, but. It, you know, that's still something you have to, to to work through that doesn't always, you know, go like fix itself overnight. Right. And as soon as she found out what happened, Harrow came in. So it's not necessary. And then, and then from there, she had to, she went and did a lot of other things. And so it's never been something that's like, okay, now this is done. Let's talk. And they could have like granted talked, but, you know, there's probably, I'm wondering if this is more of a thing that like, they're still together. They just need time apart. Yeah. But we'll find out if they ever make another season. And then our next question is, what role does Frenchie play in this universe to Mark? Yeah, because we see that he is... Um, he does exist. Yeah, and he's connected to Mark, and he's like... He has Mark's burner phone number, even though he's only called him once. So um, there's, there's still a chance that... Um, that Frenchie or Jean-Paul Duchamp is someone that Mark knew as in his time in the military or as a mercenary. And because of that, you know, he could be tied into this story somehow. Um, we know that from Mark that, you know, the dig site and his partnering with Bushman was just because that, just because like Bushman was his old commanding officer. So it's still likely that Frenchie could be there. Um, or they could have worked together to some some extent, but he is there. And I'm wondering what, since he didn't show up in any of these events. Yeah, I know in the in some of the comic book runs, he Frenchie's kind of absent um, for one reason or another. So definitely interested in in where he fits in in the MCU. Right, because they have had a good friendship that was sometimes complicated. Yeah. So our next question is, what exactly happened to Mark's old CEO, Bushman? Yes, because Mark has been, we know Mark has been Moon Knight for 10 years. Um, you know, based off of just context clues that we've been given. But Bushman is one of Moon Knight's, uh, is the Moon Knight big bad. Like his original villain. Uh, the person that was there that pretty much caused his... Uh, his origin story to begin was Raoul Bushman. And now that we see that they actually had a relationship. It's outside not, of. Yeah. Yeah. Like sort of outside of being a mercenary since they were in the military together. Um, they had that, that general connection, but um, 
there is, you know, we obviously see that Bushman is just as like bloodthirsty as he was in the comics. So it is, it is, it is interesting. I wonder, like, has he ever, has he ever come back for vengeance against Bushman? Has that ever been part of Conchu's thing? Because it doesn't seem like uh, Bushman is not dead. It seems like Bushman is still very much alive. Yeah. So, wonderful. Get as we've said with all of these questions in season two. Wonder if we'll actually get to see Raoul Bushman because that would be a very, very interesting person to have in the MCU. Yeah, I think everybody everybody who's who's read the comics is kind of like. Obviously, if you, if you have Moon Knight, you've got to have some Bushmen. So hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. Do. Yeah. And given the given the. There's just the way this this season went, where it was very more of like on the like mystic side. Mm-hmm. And Bushman represents a very like street level regular character. I wonder what they'll they'll do with Bushman if he's around. Like, yeah. what will they do to make him a formidable opponent for Moon Knight? Because, like, right now with Moon Knight's powers, Raoul Bushman technically wouldn't be that much of a threat, but, you know, Bushman's done some crazy shit in the comics, so it'll be cool to see, like, this tactical commanding officer doing stuff to to Moon Knight. Absolutely. And so our last question is, given... Conchu's revelation at the end of the show and the fact that we have a clue to his presence in Mark's memories as a child, how long has Conchu been around and how will this dynamic between Conchu, Mark, and the altars work once he's ultimately been discovered? Because that's one thing, like when Mark discover, when Mark and Steven discover that Jake Lockley is a thing or, you know, when someone mysteriously wakes up at a time where they shouldn't, they're probably going to still remember or figure out in some form or fashion that something is still going on. Yeah, that's what like when we get to the flat in London at the end when Mark and Steven still have the bed restraints on, like it that could have been there just because that's what Steven normally did. But it could also allude to the fact that like they still wake up in random spots not knowing you know what they were doing and it's also just i guess questionable of like how well it can jake hide this because i think obviously like we see instances where jake is coming out basically to help survive right so if they don't know him at any other level like what is happening to like how good is he at doing this and see, that's one thing. One thing I, I'm wondering is because, like, Mark and Steven had to basically fight for control once they both realized that they were there. Um, and I'm wondering if Jake doesn't have to do that now because they don't know. Like, how things were much smoother for Mark um, all the way up until he saw his mom and he broke down. And then kind of Steven bled over. Because, like, as he mentioned, there was always a wall between them. And, like, that wall between them and Jake still technically exists since they don't know who he is and they think Conchu's gone. So I'm wondering, like, how that's how that ultimately end up being. Because when they find out, when they find out about Jake Lockley, they're going to find out because someone's dead. Yeah. And, like, that's dead. It's 
they're going to find out because people are dead. And uh, I wonder how that's all going to go, because that's going to be really weird for Kanchu to have to explain that and that fact that Kanchu is still there. And I wonder how that is going to affect the them continuing to be Moon Knight or their desire to be Moon Knight in any sort of way. So there's a lot there. Like, I hope that... Um, I hope that it is something that they are thinking about because I know someone has to be writing a season two script at this point. So hopefully that's that's something and hopefully you get to see more of Jake Lockley uh, speaking Spanish and shooting people and <laughs> possibly getting his own Moon Knight suit. And like, you know, and with that, that's a, a pretty good spot to move into some some final thoughts about the overall season. I personally as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I thought the overall season was fantastic. I thought that the fact that they heavily uh, went into the Lemire run was perfect. I think that they handled introducing so many new people to a more niche Marvel character beautifully. They defeated all of the Batman comparisons, especially considering a Batman episode or a Batman movie came out during the time that this show is out also. And um, I think they took, they, they handled dissociative identity disorder well, which was something that the Moon Knight comics and older runs didn't even do. So like, instead of it being like, oh, this is schizophrenia, or this is just like an alternate personality disguise thing I put on so I can do different things. Like, this this makes a lot more sense, and it makes the character more relatable and seem and more human, even, you know, through the jokes, the costume changes, and the battling giant alligators and on top of a pyramid. Absolutely. I think like there were so many good things about this show. I know what for me one of my favorite scenes is just that Stephen telling Mark that you know you were just a child; it wasn't your fault. I think he needed to hear that a lot. I think a lot of people watching relating to the mental health issues at hand needed to hear that a lot, myself included. So it was just really well done. I love all the actors that were associated with this. They all did great. Um, I really need them to make a season two so that we can see how well these characters get developed in the future. Definitely agree with that. And with that, this is the truth learned. That being Moon Knight is not a curse, nor a state of penance. It is simply who and what he was always meant to be. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you under the blue moon. All right, so here's some after credit stuff for you guys who are sticking around. <laughs> In the Marvel fashion. So for now, we've wrapped up Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. Next, we're going to take the opportunity to deep dive into some themes from the show and specific characters in the comics before we start our very first comic book run coverage. Ooh. So stay tuned. More Moon Knight is coming shortly. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs>